Welcome to an encouraging word from Pastor Elliot Warren from Cross Culture Church in Houston, Texas. Good morning, everybody. We're talking about restoration today. We're going to be getting into restoration. And I believe that this is a season when God really does want to restore some things to the body of Christ. He wants to restore things in our lives. You know, God's all into restoration. Adam messed up thousands of years ago, and God's been in the process of restoring ever since. Adam started out with something great, and he was ma- supposed to mature in his walk with God and learn God. He, did, he wasn't created with the absolute knowledge of God. He was going to have to grow in that. But anyway, he messed up. From that time, we've been in a process of restoration, and the level of restoration has been increasing, and that curve is getting steeper and steeper, and, and that's a really wonderful thing. In Habakkuk 2, verse 14, it says this, The glory of the Lord is going to cover the earth, just like the waters cover the sea. That's a very uh, amazing statement that God made. The glory of the Lord is going to cover the earth just like the waters cover the sea. So what is this glory covering, covering the earth? It's men and women who are filled with God, who are serving God honorably, and the light of God is shining out of them. That's how the glory of the Lord and the knowledge of the glory of God is going to be here. Does that mean God's not here? It's just people? No, it's, they're both here. It's God's people and it's God filling the earth. But what I was emphasizing here is it's going to happen as we are filled with his glory, as we are, as God is shining out of us. So it's going to be pretty amazing to see what God does in his people throughout the earth. And if you think about this statement, power of it, I want you to recognize it's God's will that the glory fill the earth. God has declared that it's going to happen. And so it is going to happen. This is going to take place. Now, I want to talk about the church or what we call the church. We also say the body of Christ. They're not exactly synonymous terms, but they're talking about the same group of people. God didn't plant the church into the earth and have born again believers, uh, people who have who've been born by the Holy Spirit, born anew. He didn't just plant that and start that with a bang and expect it just to just go downhill over time. The Bible says that God's faithful to finish what he started. So he's the one that started the church. He's the one that sent the Holy Spirit. He's the one that has put the Holy Spirit within us and within his church to bring something about. You see, he had a plan from the very beginning. God never starts something except that he has a plan when he gets started. So he's got the end in mind from the beginning. And he did not intend for the church to start here and then to slowly go to where there's hardly anything, no power, people are just making it later. He started here, and I will tell you, when God finishes this, it's going to be better than the way it started. And you need to get that in your mind because I believe the devil puts a vision in many people's minds that, oh, the church is going to get weaker and weaker and weaker, more and more and more diluted. Yes, bad things are going to happen. Yes, there's going to be that element of the church, but God's going to raise up a people that are full of the Lord, that are dedicated to Him, and that shine the glory of God out of their lives. And it's going to be amazing what we see happen in the earth 
because that was God's plan from the beginning. The Bible says that we're going from glory to glory. That means one state of God in us and His manifestation in us to a greater state of that. So the latter part is going to be better than the earlier part or the former part, right? He had that in mind from the beginning. In Ephesians 4, it says this, we are growing up into what we're supposed to be. We didn't start out what we're supposed to be. We're growing into that. In fact, Paul says, look, the church is like a child with a mature head. The mature head is Christ. The body of Christ is like an infant stage. The body is going to have to grow up. And he uses this phrase, grow up into the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Look where he says the body of Christ is going. We are growing up into something amazing, into the fullness of Christ, right? And what's actually happening here? We're being restored back to God's intention. There's a restoration process. Now, I don't know exactly how all that's going to end up. But I do know we have to be ready because God's going to do things we've never seen. We're going to experience things we've not experienced before. We don't just need to look at the early church as our template for what God's going to do. I believe God's, yes, he'll do those things and some of those things need to get restored. But by the time it's said and done, I believe that there's going to be amazing things that God's done in his body, even things that we've not seen, even things that weren't even seen in the New Testament church. And what I'm talking about is the church in the book of Acts. Now I want to talk about two or three scriptures today that speak about restoration, when God's restoring things and God's bringing back things and, and God's bringing a change. In fact, almost every time when you see the word restoration in the New Testament, it's talking about bringing things back into alignment the way they're supposed to be or the way they were originally intended to have been. First verse we'll look at is in Matthew 17. In beginning in verse 11, it says this. Well, the disciples had been talking with Jesus, and they're thinking, well, Jesus has come. And so we thought that Elijah was supposed to come first. And they asked him about that, that and they said, hey, wasn't Elijah supposed to come first? And Jesus said, Elijah is indeed coming first, meaning before the Christ. Elijah is coming first and will restore, that's future, Elijah will come and will restore all things. But I say to you, Elijah's already come, past, and they did not know him, but they did to him what they pleased. First thing I want to mention about this scripture is that he says Elijah is going to come before the coming of the Christ. Now, we know that John the Baptist came in the spirit of Elijah before the first coming. And when Jesus is saying here, yes, Elijah does come, he's indicating that yet there is another coming of Elijah. He came in the as in John the Baptist. It wasn't him personally in John the Baptist. It was his ministry. It was what God put on the grace, the anointing, the call that was on Elijah came on John the Baptist. But then he says that Elijah shall come. Now, I just this is an interesting thing. You know, a lot of people actually believe that Elijah is literally going to come before Jesus comes. And maybe he will, because actually, if you remember, Elijah was taking up 
and he never died. See, people say, well, I don't think that God could just bring a man out of heaven. Well, he took a man into heaven. I believe he can bring him out. And you say, well, how could God do that? You know, where's, where's he been in heaven all this while? Well, you remember Paul went there one time and he's going, hey, I don't know. Maybe I even went in my body to heaven. I don't even understand what happened. You know, so we don't understand all things like that. In fact, I would say if you want to say this is heaven and this is below heaven and there's no time in heaven, I think God probably picked Elijah up boom, like that. And he, to Elijah, there was no time involved. He just sat him right down. And the next time there he is with Moses and Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. To Elijah, he just got picked up and boom, there he is in the future because there's no time with God, right? And so to, I don't even know if time is transpiring in Elijah's mind. Maybe to him, he just goes, Poop, and he gets immediately dropped down in another time frame. I don't know. But some people do believe that he's coming physically, that he will be dropped down into the earth again, like he was with Jesus and Moses that time. Other people believe it's going to be like John the Baptist, where someone else is doing that. And then you've got, of course, everyone, I would say, who believes that, or most people believe that, this spirit of Elijah is going to be working in the end time church. It's going to be the message. It's going to be the ministry that is out there before Jesus returns. And I do believe that that has to be an element of it. So what is his ministry? You know, what does it mean to restore all things? What exactly is he going to be restoring? So I think for us to understand this, we should look at Elijah's ministry and see what he did. What did he do? The highlight of his ministry was when, when he goes, confronts King Ahab and Jezebel and hundreds of false prophets that are with the, we would call the Israelites being the God's people. We'll just call them God's people. They weren't serving God necessarily, uh, but that's, that was God's people. And so Elijah comes and he says, if the Lord is the Lord, follow him. If Baal is God, follow him. But why limp on two divided opinions? Why be double-minded about serving God? Either serve him or don't serve him. But you need to either step 100% in or just step out and do your own thing. But quit being a compromiser. And so they go, oh, that sounds good. And he says, the God who answers by fire, that's going to be the God. So he lets them, he lets the other prophets cry out and call out for God to throw, you know, to bring the fire. He builds a sacrifice there. And anyway, so these false prophets, hundreds of them are crying out to their God, send this fire, send this fire. Well, guess what? The fire never came. Fire didn't come. And then Elijah comes up and he says this, let these people, Lord, know that I have done this at your word and that you are bringing their hearts back to you today. And when he says that, the fire of God comes from heaven. Now, you have to realize there's not been rain for three and a half years. I mean, it's an amazing thing that's been going on. I'm not telling you the whole story, but if you go and read that story, it is pretty amazing. In uh, 1 Kings, like 1 Kings 18 is where this is, and it started before that where there's, there's no rain. Anyway, just imagine being there this day. Here's the prophet that said there's no, not going to be rain until I say. The whole nation has pretty much come out because there's been no rain for three and a half years. He's put this sacrifice and he says, you guys, the, the problem is you have not been serving God wholeheartedly. You serve God and you want to serve Baal too. 
you know, you serve God and you want to serve the world too. If you're going to serve God, do it completely and wholeheartedly. And when he says that, and it's his turn to prove that his God is the real God, fire comes down from heaven. I've wondered, did that take five seconds? Did they see it start small and get big? I don't know how it happened. I'm just thinking that must have been the most amazing thing that they experienced. Fire came down from heaven and it hit the area, just the area that they had put for the sacrifice. Boom, the fire hits. And it says that all the people, I mean, they started screaming out, the Lord, he is God, the Lord, he is God. The fear of God came on them. You know, it looked like God wasn't involved. They're sinning all the time. They're compromising. It doesn't seem like God's upset. But here comes God. He demonstrates himself. The fire of God falls. That makes the fear of God come into the hearts of men. And they turn their hearts back to God. And you see, I believe that that's what we're going to see in these last days. I believe that we're going to see God pour out his spirit. And the fire is going to come down from heaven. I believe that the fear of God is going to come in demand. I believe that there's going to be some aspects of judging. That happened in there where God's judging evil. And he's making it clear that the message of the hour is serve me 100%. I'm not asking for half. I'm not saying, oh, I'm just glad for any little bit that you'll give me. He's saying, no, serve me 100% or don't serve me at all. Either go be with Baal, go do your world things, or, ser or serve me, but you need to make a decision. And that day, the fear of God came in them, and all of a sudden, they don't want to serve these other things anymore. The, their minds cleared up pretty quickly, and they're like, no, the Lord, He is God. We just want to serve Him. That's what they said that day. And the ministry of Elijah caused that to happen. John the Baptist had the ministry, that same ministry on his life. And what did he do? He called people back to God. He, in fact, Jesus says, John came speaking in the way of righteousness. He was speaking what was right, what, what honored God, how to serve God. And ironically, it was actually the top religious class and the ministers that were the very ones who rejected what he was doing because they didn't want to even have anything to do with it. They were clean on the outside, the way everybody sees them. But on the inside, it says that they were all messed up. They had evil on the inside, wrong motives, fleshly motives. But they had the form of making it look right. And I feel like we probably have a lot of that going on today. The form of something great, the form of success, the form of, oh, God is with me. But God doesn't look at all those things. God looks at the heart. And that's what John was doing in that day, John the Baptist. He was calling people's hearts back to God. And he had people come from everywhere. He was in the wilderness. And he had people come from everywhere to hear that message. And they began to repent. They were crying. They would come confessing their sins in front of everybody. And Jesus began to even mention that. He says, look, look, guys. The tax gatherers came. The harlots came. All these people came that you would have never thought would have come to God. And they're the first ones to come. And you religious ones that are so into this and that, it's, it's amazing. You are the ones who won't even come. You see, what an interesting thing. But see what John was doing. And the point I'm making here is the ministry was bringing the fear of God back to people. It's amazing to me that John can be in the middle of the desert where nobody is. 
They say his ministry probably started with caravans that were passing through. You know, he's just got the preach in him. I mean, he's been spending time with God, seeking the Lord, and a caravan comes through. Of course, when you see a caravan, I see something like Plymouth, a big one with a, with a bunch of people. You know, maybe 30 people get out of that caravan. Here comes John. Hey, I got some people I can talk to today. <laughs> He's in the wilderness. God began to move. People began to hear about it. And then multitudes began to go out in the middle of nowhere. And it wasn't like they were going to hear the most exciting preaching or to go hear, you know, the, the, the greatest worship, whatever experience. They were going to hear a man tell you to repent and get your life right with God. That's just the most amazing thing to me that people started to go come from all over. And why was that? It's because people were being connected back to God. You see, that is the key. That will bring an amazing move of God if people begin to experience that. You know, we can get people, and I love worship at God. And in fact, I'm going to share a little later today how I just encountered God in a great way this week through a worship service of sorts. But there needs to be that connection with God that people are experiencing. They don't need to only feel His presence in the room. They need to connect their hearts with Him. They need to pour out their hearts with Him. And we need to begin to learn how to bring people to Christ again, where they're feeding on Him again, drinking of Him again. Because when that happens, they will never thirst again. We have too many people coming to church and connecting with church people or connecting or praying the prayer, but they have not learned how to drink from Christ. They haven't learned how to connect. They haven't learned how to make that heart thing happen. And you see, this is what's happening in the wilderness with John. They're having a heart connection with God and they're being changed by it. And that's why they come and they're bringing other people. Hey, you've got to hear what's coming out of that man. There's something that he's preaching and I connect with it. And oh man, it connected me with God. You've got to hear that. You've got to come. When lives are being changed and there's that connection there, man, it will bring more and more and more people there too. And he's doing it with this hard message. You need to get your life right with God. You need to absolutely turn, turn away from whatever's hindering your life from flowing with God. And I would ask each of you this morning, you know, are you connecting with God? Are you really drinking of Him? Have you turned from anything that's in the way? Have you done what Elijah has said and made a decision? I'm going to serve Him 100%. I'm not going to serve Him a little and serve the world a little and compromise. No, I'm going to serve Him 100%. You see, that's the kind of commitment and that's the kind of heart that will come toward God where He will begin to meet with you and you can drink of Him and flow with Him and enjoy Him. You see, that's what God is going to do in these final days. He's going to pour out His Spirit in the message and in what's happening, whether it's in the worship in the church, whether it's in the preaching of the church, whether it's in the body ministry. And it's not just going to be the building of the church. It's going to be everywhere. We're going to see God move everywhere. Elijah was like out in the open. John the Baptist was in the wilderness and people came. You're going to see people getting saved everywhere. They're going to get saved in the classrooms. They're going to get saved in the streets, in the, in the grocery store. I believe that the move of God is going to be so amazing. We're going to see people turn to God everywhere. 
but it needs to come out of an, I would call it an Elijah company, the spirit of Elijah working in his church in this hour. I believe that's part of what happened in the New Testament. It's interesting that in the book of Acts, you've got the disciples flowing after Jesus has been raised from the dead and Pentecost happened. Now you've got a lot of people preaching the same message. The Bible says that they preached repentance and coming to God and getting your life turned around, right? So they were preaching that message. And they were preaching about the power of God to deliver and to save. And they were seeing miracles happen. And by the way, you see, people are like, oh, yeah, we started out there. And no, we just have come down where that doesn't happen anymore. No, that's not right thinking. God is going to restore that and a lot more. In fact, that is happening all over the place in various parts of the world, and even in America, it's happening. But anyway, you've got these disciples, and I, I just heard somebody mention this point recently, that up until the first few chapters, even with the disciples seeing 3,000 get saved, and then 5,000, it says that the church was being added to. And then around, I think it was uh, about chapter 6, it says the church was being multiplied. And he was saying, interesting point, that was the point where it went from just the main 12 or 11 plus the one that was added ministering to the body of Christ began to minister. And that first verse that I read before we got going here out of Ephesians, it says we're all going to grow up into Christ. And it also says that we're all going to be mobilized, each one doing our part. You see, the glory of the body isn't going to be because of a few individuals doing their part. It's going to be because the whole body is doing its part. The whole body is representing Christ. We're all learning what our gifts are. We're all flowing in our gifts. We're all working together. We're recognizing, well, this is my part. This is their part. And we're loving, connecting with God, doing what we're supposed to do. Jesus Christ himself said, my meat is to do the will of my Father. And you see, when you're doing what you've been created to do and what God's inspiring you to do. There's life in that. There's joy in that. And people need to begin to, to learn how to get engaged with the call of God on their lives. There's so much fellowship of God in that and joy and purpose and meaning. A lot of people don't understand their purpose in life because they've never recognized that it can only be found in God. And when you discover your purpose in God and you're walking out that, there is such a wonderful fulfillment in that. It's a, it's a blessed thing to be doing that because you're doing it with God. You're not out trying to make something happen. You're just flowing with what God's called you to be and who God's called you to be. I believe that there is going to be this major end-time harvest that's going to happen before the return of Christ. So even now, I believe, and I've seen this, God's drawing the hearts of people in a unique way right now. I've heard testimonies of it. I've heard of evangelists who are saying they've been doing this like 30 and 40 years and have never seen the kind of salvations and the results that they're getting now and the depth of repentance that they're seeing now. I've shared this before, but I heard a minister recently said he can't even finish his messages. He's an evangelist and he's ministering in California like in open air places, and people are just coming. <laughs> and these are not church people. He's having to stop his messages in the middle of his messages because out in the congregation, people just, they're weeping and beginning to cry in the middle of the message. He says, I can't even finish my messages. We just have to stop and start bringing people to the Lord and helping people get that breakthrough to, to give their lives to the Lord. You see how God is working on people, bringing conviction. That's one of the most wonderful things when God convicts souls that they need him and that there's something missing on the inside and that there's something that, that cries out. 
And that's why they weep. There's a, there's a connection that maybe can't even be explained of what they're doing, why they're crying. But there's a, a pouring out of just desiring to get right with God, of, of coming to God. They begin to see Him more, and he's, He begins to reveal Himself to Him, and it makes Him weep. It's like, God, I don't know what I need, but God, help me. Help me, God. And God is bringing people to Himself in this hour. There was the woman at the well, if you remember the story, where Jesus and his disciples are at, the, at a well and he sends them to go get something to eat and they come back. And, but during the time of them being gone, Jesus had just started a conversation with this woman. She's not a woman that the other disciples would have even been talking to. But Jesus starts talking to her. By the end of the story, she's experienced salvation. She's come to God. She recognizes who Jesus is. He's revealed himself to her as the Savior, which he didn't do with a lot of people. What an amazing thing that happened. And the disciples were even surprised at what's going on. What happened here? And you see, Jesus is going, you know, that was a very unlikely person. Most people would not have talked to her. Definitely these guys would have not been talking to her. And he looks at them and he says, you know what? Don't say the harvest isn't ready. You just can't see it because you've not been looking. I want you to have the right mindset because the harvest is ready. If you'd step out, you'd begin to encounter some of these people, and you watch how they'll come to God. He's pretty much telling them, it's here. God's already been working, but you don't see it yet. If you step out and you start looking for it, you're going to discover God's already prepared a harvest for you. I believe that's the way things are right now. God's already prepared the soil. There are already people who are hungry. God's already been working in their hearts. Things are just right. For them to begin to come to the Lord. Some are already ready. Some are going to come after you've been talking to them for a few weeks. But I'm just saying, like Jesus told his disciples, you need to start looking and you need to start stepping out and seeing people as ready, not seeing that, oh, nobody's ready. Nobody's coming to the Lord. Things have changed. People are ready. Now, I want to say, too, that this move of God is not going to be about just the form. Oh, we want to have a nice, pretty church with nice this and nice that, and a nice location, and a nice this, and a wonderful this. Well, God's not against those things, but that should never be the main thing. That should not be the draw, you see. And I love it that God takes His people through difficult times sometimes because He wants to see those that aren't just there because of convenience sake. They're not just there, oh, because, oh, I like this kind of something, or I like that kind. They're there because deep down on the inside of them, they are doing what they know God has called them to do. God will always come through for them. But it looks like sometimes he's late, right? <laughs> but God will always come through. God will always come through. Getting back to this real thing. God wants the real back in church. My wife and I were watching this fellow. His name's Keith Green. He was a worship leader. I don't know if that's the right thing to call him, but he got saved. He was radically saved. He had an unusual style of music. But he was so connected with God. I've, I've heard so many stories of, of his that Leonard Ravenhill said he's seen an amazing revival two times. And once was when Keith Green was doing a concert. Keith Green, sometimes he'd step out and everybody'd start clapping. This is one of the stories I thought was funny. They're like, yay, you know, and he just stopped and he said, he had a funny voice. And, you know, you really grieve God's heart when you do that. So you're going, oh, you know, so then he would go and he'd, he'd start worshiping. <laughs> and he, he would talk and he would uh, I, I've shared before how at Oral Roberts University there was a move of God and people began to come up to the front 
in Oral Roberts, which is a Christian university. And these people, the students, began to confess their sins in front of everybody. The student body president, as I remember, right? It was a student body president came up and he began to confess he'd been in homosexuality. And as soon as that happened, one of the deans of the university comes up, stops the whole thing. But the guy goes, I was there. Keith Green, this is just when he was just leading people to connect with God. And you see, when you connect people with God, something happens. And that's what Keith was so good at. He just connect people with God. He'd be just so sincere about God. But they stopped it because when God started to move, it made them very, very uncomfortable. You see, but you just think what would have happened had that not been stopped. That's not the kind of thing any of us would probably feel comfortable with in a church. In fact, some of us, maybe, you know, some of you, maybe you come into a church for a while and God begins to move and something's telling you, get up there and you share what you've been doing and confess it and get it out. You see, <laughs> oh, oh, let me go to another church that's going to be more comfortable than that one. It's all about experiencing God. It's all about experiencing God. We're watching this guy. He passed away when he was 28. He would share a little testimony of, man, I was going through this and I just prayed to God and I said, God, did he would share his failures, his where he felt like he wasn't living as on fire for the Lord, where we were just getting, he, whatever he's going through, he was just being real with God, and he's telling this to us. And you feel his heart, and then he'd go, and so right then, I, I, was, I just began to pray, I see this. Then he's saying, and then I wrote this song. He would write so many songs. I mean, he wrote like, I don't know how many songs. He only ministered for three years after he got saved, and then he, he died in a plane crash. I, I'm listening to it, and I'm going, wow, that's so great. And as he was talking, I'm connecting with his experience. Y'all see what I'm saying? See, he's connected with God, and it's so real. And he's just sharing that. It's so simple. It wasn't like anything too complicated. But the heart, I could feel his heart. And he's so connected. And when he's sharing it, it, it connects me right there with it and it was so real to me and i'm going wow this isn't just about having the presence in the room this is like really pulling your heart right into something and then he turned his testimony right into a song and we just began to sing and man i just says i was just weeping before god because the words are so meaningful i mean you're feeling every word and god comes so alive and i'm just thinking god this is what the church needs. They don't just need to come to church. They don't need to just feel happy. They don't even just need to feel the presence. I'm all for the presence. And you know, those of you who know me, how much I love that. And I, we should want that to increase continually. But I'm just saying beyond that, or in addition to that, there's got to be people who are learning how to connect with God. You see, if this new generation of people who are coming to Christ will learn how to taste of the Lord, they will never want to go back to this world. As I'm there this other, just the other night in this worship, man, and again, what, what an amazing thing worship is. I mean, the testimony did what it did, and then, but then being able to say those words, and this guy, in my mind, he didn't have the greatest voice in the world, but as he's singing, man, the, the, the connection and the reality of those words made God so real. I mean, God's real to me. But that night, and, and of course, I know many of you have had this, these experiences where he just opens up. And at that moment, 
you see so clearly nothing else is important. No possessions important. No dollar bill is important. Nothing else is important. And you and everything becomes clear and you go, God, I'll do anything just to stay right here. God, I just want this the rest of my life. There's nothing greater than this, nothing more important than this, nothing more fulfilling than this. Lord, this really shows what it's like to come taste of the Lord and see that he is good. And honestly, I just believe so many times we've had church, we teach people the little prayer, we sing our little songs, but we've not had the mind that we're supposed to be bringing people to Christ where they're partaking of Him, where they're experiencing Him, where they're drinking of Him, and where He's revealing themselves. I am telling you, when that happens, you're going to have an amazing church full of people that love God, that are radical. You're not going to have to twist their arms to be radical. They're going to be, I just want to do anything to be close to Him. You know, Paul said this. He says, I've left everything, and I count it like dung in view of the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus. What he's saying is, I have tasted of this. It was not a philosophy. It was an experience. He's going, I've had this experience. I know what it's like. I've tasted of him. And because of that, I just see all this other stuff. It's like nothing. (laughs) I laid all of it down because that one thing, that's more precious than all that other stuff, you see. And we read that verse, and sometimes I think we read it like, you know, as a poem. or what, was, what a beautiful statement, but we haven't experienced it. And I just want to encourage you today, come, taste of God, be real. Okay, then there's another verse. I need to move on here. Acts three nineteen is talking about restoration. And it says there, repent and be converted. Turn, become something else, so that your sins can be blotted out, so that times of refreshing will come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send Jesus Christ who is preached to you before, whom heaven must receive until the times of restoration of all things. There's that same phrase again. So but let's look at this scripture. He says times of refreshing. He's talking about times of refreshing. The word refreshing there means to breathe again or to be breathed over again. And where's that going to come He's coming from the presence of the Lord. What's he saying here? Just a few days earlier, they've had an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. God breathed on them, the Holy Spirit. The the Holy Spirit's all over them. They're prophesying. They're flowing and they're speaking in tongues. It's an overflow of the Holy Spirit. And I believe what he's saying here is, if you guys will line up with God today, you can have this happen again. There'll be a time of refreshing, a rebreathing of what God has just done. It will happen to you again. What I said that day is for today. It, it hasn't been taken back. And again, what he said was in Joel 2, Peter preached that. And when the Holy Spirit was poured out, he says, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men shall dream dreams. And on my men servants and maidservants, I'll pour out my spirit in those days and they'll prophesy. So he's saying this is going to continue. It's for you guys if you'll line up, if you'll line up. And then he talks about the times of restoration. So he's saying this. When God brings restoration, what comes afterward is 
refreshing. So what's restoration? Restoration means to line up with God the way things were originally intended. Things are being reconstituted, re-put together is what that word means. But in the context, it's meaning you're lining back up with God. And not only that, but it's plural. It's not a when the one time comes, he calls it times of restoration. So he's saying as there are times when God brings things back into order as he's putting things and restoring things back into alignment. And every time something comes into alignment, I believe that there's a blessing and an outpouring or a time of refreshing that happens there. I believe there's so many things that God's going to be restoring. Even from the early church, you look at some things that looks like we've, we're not flowing at the same level that we had there. That's not because of just, well, that's not God's will. I believe it is God's will, and I believe we're going to even see more of it because God's even going to restore that to where it was and go further. But look at the demons that were cast out of individuals. Look how people got free from things that were on the inside of them. You see Mary Magdalene, who's a wonderful woman. It says she had seven demons cast out of her. If she comes to church today, would she still get her demons cast out? You see, God wants to set people free just like he always had. There were sick people that would come to Jesus. He never said, oh, it's not God's will to heal you. But today we say that because we don't experience the power of God as we should, as for what God has provided for. So I believe we make excuses. So God wants us to quit making excuses. He wants us to recognize this is the day of restoration, and we need to contend for the faith once delivered for all. We need to press into the things that God has for us because this is the hour of God's power. This is the hour of outpouring. No matter where you are, even if it looks like you're outside of one of the outpourings. You can always experience the presence of God, the power of God, and connect with God, right? But this makes it even easier. It's sort of like the resistance in the heavenlies against your prayers and against what you've been pressing into seems to get broken. And the prayers that many people have prayed over generations gets poured out. And it's like flowing in this thing just seems easier and easier. And I just want to encourage you in this today because it is an hour of an outpouring in the earth. It has begun. Don't be sitting in your chair. You need to jump up and run after God in this hour. You need to let go of things that are holding you back and press into God and have those encounters. Keep pressing into God until you've encountered Him, until you're tasting of Him, until you see Him. Do whatever you have to do to get there. Sometimes maybe you need to connect with somebody else who's already there. I don't know. You know, I I can't wait until the day when this is an experience in our church and people come because they're encountering God there and they leave and they say, you remember in the New Testament, he said people will leave going, wow, surely God was in that place. I had a meeting with God there. Man, it was amazing. He was so real to me. You see, when Jesus becomes the center of the church and he's being fed to people again, man, it's going to be amazing what God does. One last verse I'll mention here is in Hosea 6, and it says, Come, let this is in the Old Testament. Come, let us return to the Lord. He's torn, but he's going to heal us. He's stricken us, but he's going to bind us up. After two days, he will revive us, and on the third day, he will raise us up. Now, I'll just stop right there. Why two days, three days? 
He likes, to, he likes to raise things up on the third day, doesn't he? But in biblical terms, one day is like a thousand years, right? So a thousand years can be represented as a day in the Bible. So he says, after two days, on the third day, we will be raised up. You know, it's after two days that this has started. 2,020-some years, which is over two days. We're in the third day. And if this is how you apply this scripture, which I believe it very well could be, it means the third day has started, and somehow in this time, in this day, we're going to see an outpouring of God. And I don't believe it's just going to be a, oh, a six-month outpouring. I don't think it'll just be a six-year outpouring. I believe it's going to be a major outpouring. Look at the first outpouring that happened. It wasn't just, boom, that one Pentecost. No, it happened over and over and over and over. It was a heavy outpouring that happened. And it happened for years. And I believe it's going to be just like that. Now, and then, and then this word keeps going on and it says, he says, let's know the Lord. Let's pursue the knowledge of God because he's going to come to us like the rain, like the former and the latter rain. Now, I want to explain a little bit about the former and the latter rain. Israel's natural harvest represents the spiritual harvest in the New Testament. And that's been used over and over again. So, for example, the harvest in the Old Testament of the grain and the crops is talking about the harvest of souls in the New Testament. The rain in the Old Testament is talking about the Holy Spirit being poured out in the New Testament, right? So when he says that there's going to be the former and the latter rain and God's going to come to us that way. And in Joel, it even looks like what's being said is in that the latter rain is even going to be double. God's going to bring the latter and the former together. I mean, it's amazing what's going to happen. But God's also demonstrated what he's doing in Israel itself. So I want to talk real quickly here about Israel's harvest season. And I want to apply it to what God is doing in this earth and what God's been doing in Israel. The, the former rain is the rain that begins at the beginning of the growing season. So they have the rain that comes, and that's when things are planted. That's when things are broken up, whatnot. And so that's extremely important for the harvest. You can never get the harvest without the former rains. And then what you have during, all throughout the season are scattered rains. You have a little rain here, a little rain there, a little rain here, a little rain there. Again, it starts out with this former big rain. Then you have... Little rain here, little rain there, little rain. Those little rains are also very important for the harvest. They have to be there. And those little rains begin to come together more quickly near the end. You begin to see more of them, more of those scattered showers or whatever. And then what you end up having is called that latter rain. And at the end, before the final harvest is brought, there is a outpouring that is a huge outpouring of rain. The harvest becoming ripe and being brought in is very dependent on that rain. See, and I believe this is exactly what we've seen happen. There was an initial outpouring that was very amazing and tremendous. A heavy rain. It's still there. We're still being blessed by that. And from then on, there have been outpourings that we've seen that brought souls into the kingdom. Outpourings, outpourings. And you can read about those in history, in Christian history. And in the last 120 years, 
It is amazing how many outpourings there have been across the globe and how they've begun to be more repetitive and, and, and close together. I believe that's an indication that the latter rain is right there on the other side of us and it's getting ready to pour out and it's going to be amazing what happens. The latter rain is going to be greater than the former rain. That's what the Bible indicates. And it's going to do amazing things. I believe that the first thing that happened when the church was birthed was amazing. I believe it doesn't compare with how this thing is going to end up. There's going to be a latter rain that is amazing. We're going to see miracles like we've never seen before. And I believe we're going to see a move of God like we've never seen before in any of our lives. I just think it's going to be a tremendous thing. And what does he say before he talks about that latter rain coming here, that the rain's going to come, let's return to God after three days. On the third day, he's going to revive us and he's going to bring the former and the latter rains. Joel says the former and the latter rain together at the latter rain time. You know, what does he say before that? He says, let's press on to know the Lord. He's connecting that latter rain with a hungry people. I love that. It might be a remnant. It doesn't matter. It can just be a, a small group of people. But they're a group of people where he says, let us know. Let us go on to know the Lord. He's like, you know what? Maybe you're, you don't see a way to make this happen. You don't see a whole bunch of people doing it. They're there, by the way. You may not see them. But God's just saying, look, let's press on to know the Lord. Let's press past what's been holding us down. Let's press past distractions. Let's press past the things that are pulling us away from our time with God and from that connection. And let's go on to know him. And in that context of those that have gone on to know him, that are pressing on, he says, he will come to us like the former and the latter rain. It's going to be amazing what God does. It's going to be amazing. We are there. It might not look like it. I'm telling you, God does things in ways we would not. You know, if I were God, I'm like, hey, there's that big church right there. I think I just come. I mean, he can come to a big church. I'm just saying, you know, if, I were, if, if you were God, would you send Jesus to Mary and Joseph in a manger or a cave or whatever? Would you do or would you? I mean, you think, well, wait a second. I think I want a little better place than that. And I don't know. Maybe put him with this. No, Jesus comes in, in very humble, unusual circumstances. It's amazing. He doesn't care about what people think. He's going to do it his way. And he doesn't try to impress people. So pursue the Lord. This is the time to really be pressing into the Lord. Whatever you need to do. Maybe you need to look up Keith Green. Maybe you can't connect with that kind of music. Might rub you the wrong way. What was the song? Lord, you're beautiful. Yeah, if you get to watch that one, again, get the one where you hear his testimony. Just do something where you can start connecting with that connection and worshiping and seeing God. God wants to meet with you. He loves to meet with you. You think, oh, maybe I'm not worthy to... God wants to meet with you more than you want to meet with him. He's just like waiting for the opportunity to show himself to you. So go there. Go there. Keep pressing him till you get there. You will get there.